Because he's been enjoying the Revelation series. So we're on week four, and uh, we're going to have a chat about that this morning. A Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29 is talking about the fourth letter to the fourth church in Revelation. It's talking about Jezebel. We're going to talk about Jezebel this morning. So that's going to be a very interesting conversation. But uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29 says this, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are doing now more than what you did at first. I want you to notice that phrase. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and to the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. He's actually talking about her followers. Then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the... Come on, who knows that God searches our hearts and minds? And I will repay each one of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to those who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Verse 26, to the one who is victorious, I'm going to say victorious, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I've received authority from my father. Again, this is Jesus writing a letter to the churches. I will also give the one the morning star, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God intros himself as the one who has eyes like blazing fire. He's talking to the church in Thyatira who in the the religious world or in the secular world, Thyatira was known to be the patron of the Greek god Apollos. And Apollos was known as the sun god. And so really Jesus is coming And he's saying all of these religious deities and all of these false gods and all of these emperors that think that they are the Son of God, the true living God has got eyes like blazing fire. And I just absolutely love that. That once again, even in that statement, God is dealing with this anti-God culture in the world at that day. Now God is commending them for a number of traits. They're doing really well. Their deeds are good. Their love and their faith are strong. Their service and their perseverance is incredible. Church, this is a good church, right? They are growing. They're growing personally. God expects us to grow. I love what it says this last bit, that you are now doing more than what you did at first. So you were doing well at first, but you have grown. You have developed. Can I say this to you today? God expects us to grow as Christians. Let me say that again. God expects us to grow. And I want to say this to you today. 
You can have the best teaching under the sun. I love the way that he dress, addresses Satan's deep secrets. You know, some people, you know, they think they can only grow with deep teaching. Could have deep teaching. You know, can I just say this? You can have the best sermons under the sun, but you need to take responsibility for your own growth. You've got to make a decision. I am going to grow. And I've realized this in life. You can learn from anything if you have your ears open to the Holy Spirit. He says to me, he goes, you've developed, you've taken on more responsibility. There is growth here. There is not stagnation. It's a natural part of life to grow. You know, I did a wedding yesterday, Dan and Matilda's wedding. Such a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful wedding. But, but I remember the first days of my married life and being a single man where my mum did everything for me. Praise God for the mums that do everything for their sons and daughters. Okay. My mum did everything for me. She'd wash my clothes. When I get out of bed, she'd do my bed. She, everyone's like, really? <laughs> my mum did everything for me. And I, I remember when we first got married, I had to do my own dishes. <laughs> had to make my own bed. And I remember helping Franka with the, the laundry and the washing. And I'm going, I don't know how anyone can work with all of this busyness at home. I remember in our first few months when we were married, we, we were living behind uh, Tommy and Stella Evans's house. They had a house and they had a little unit. So we were renting that unit in the first few days. And I thought, you know what, I've got to stretch my capacity. I've got to develop, you know, my ability to do things. So I thought, you know, Frank is out at work and I happened to be home on that day. I think it was my, my RDO day. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to surprise I'm going to bake her some muffins. First time I'd ever cooked, I'm going to bake her some muffins. And so I went to the shop and I got uh, the muffin mix. Because if you don't know how to cook, praise God for the mixes that are in the aisle of the coals. So I got the muffin mix and I poured it out. I started mixing all the, the wet ingredients and the dry ingredients and cracked the egg and bit of milk, bit of this, bit of that. Had it all ready to go. Poured it in the muffin tins and I just let it sit there until she came. She arrived home and I said, babe, I said, I've, I've, I've done myself. I'm going to cook you muffins. And uh, back in those days, we would often go for a walk before we'd have dinner and we'd just walk around the block and we would talk and talk about the day and what's been going on and talk about our feelings and talk about what God is doing. Gentlemen, it's good for you to talk about your feelings. It reminds your wife that you do have feelings. And so... I put, the, I put the muffins in one of those plastic trays and we had been given a convection microwave for our wedding. And so, in other words, it could, you know, it could do normal oven heating, but it could also do microwaving. And so she said, what's that on the trays? I said, I've baked us some muffins. We're going to go for a nice walk around the block. When we come back, we're going to have freshly baked muffins and we're going to continue a little talk and conversation and just allow the, the smell of the muffins just to fill the air as we look at each other and begin to just once again just be in love 24-7. Praise God. Anyway, I put the muffins in the, in, in, in the oven and I said, let's go. She goes, do you know how to use it? Yes, I do. It was about a 40-minute walk. I threw it in. And rather than pressing convection, I pressed microwave. 
40 minutes on microwave and off we started cooking. Off I went, we were walking around the block, we're talking, we're walking, we're in love, the birds are singing, the sun is shining. We get about 40 minutes later, we get to the corner of our house and you can see our house from the main road. And I was expecting the waff of the muffins to come out of the, the kitchen and hit us as we're on the pavement. All I could see was smoke coming out of the side of the house. Frank goes, what's that? I said, I think it's the muffins. She goes, what'd you do? I said, well, I wanted to teach myself how to smoke them. We got there. What should have been a muffin was just burnt cinder, ashes. There was absolutely nothing at all. I think some of the muffins were all over the microwave. It was an absolute disaster. Can I just say, 28 years later, I'm still not doing muffins in the microwave. I've learned my lesson. I have, thank you, thank you. I have grown. I have developed. Now I'm cooking pizza. Can I just say this? Some of you guys that follow me on Instagram, let me just say this, right? My Instagram is not for inspirational quotes. There are many people that do inspire. If you want the inspirational quotes, just read your Bible. <laughs> read the Word of God, right? But I use my Instagram for my cooking adventures. <laughs> my cooking adventures. Anyway, moving on. I was growing. There was a development in growing. You know, those early days, having to juggle all of these things, thinking like it was the, like the most difficult thing in the world. Then when our kids came along, when, when Alessandra came along, and now we had to get the pram out and the pram in and make sure that our routine was according to as our kids were growing up. And I'm thinking, how can I cope with all of these challenges? But I'd learned to grow. There was a capacity. God was stretching me. And just like we do it in life, we have to do it in the kingdom of God as well. Many people want to stretch in life, but they diminish in their capacity in the kingdom of God. I found something interesting over COVID. I said, since COVID has come and gone, there are some people, they're too busy for church now. They're too busy for the house of God because they're so wrapped up in everything else. See, when I read this in Revelation, and it's not a condemnation, but it's an encouragement, God expects us to grow in the kingdom of God. You did more now than what you did at first. And so my challenge for you this morning, right at the beginning, are you doing more for the kingdom or are you doing less? Is there more of love and more of compassion? Is there more of a capacity to serve God? Because there's an expectation with this wonderful salvation gift that God has given us that we would steward it in a way to serve the kingdom of God. Come here, if you believe it this morning, say Amen. We're not saved by our works, but our walk with God does create good works within us. Get your passion for the Holy Spirit to use you again. God wants to use you and I. He wants our service. Amen. But he goes on to say, nevertheless, I have this, this one thing against you. You see, they're growing and they're developing. And God is commending them for that, but he has this one thing. And it's interesting that this one thing seems to negate all the good things. 
Not all things are created equal. Ten good things don't necessarily outweigh the one bad thing. Church, I think it's really it's a challenging thought in itself. You know, we often see, I've been in ministry now for over 30 years and we've counseled many people and we've worked with counselors and psychologists and on different challenges that people have had. And, you know, we often see this when people make excuses for terrible behavior. You know, I've done all this good, all this good, thinking that all their good would excuse that one bad thing. I, I know when we've counseled people, for example, when there's been sexual infidelity in the marriage from one of the partners and when there's been a lack of acknowledgement or, or a lack of repentance, often the first thing is, oh, look at all the good that I've done. But all the good doesn't compare to the brokenness of trust that has been established in that family now because of that one wrong action. The consequence of sin is not equal. Yes, God forgives all. And we often say that God sees sin as sin. But the Bible does speak about different consequences. For example, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. It talks about when you sin sexually, you actually sin against your own body. Church, you actually hurt yourself. Right? The moral code throughout the Old and the New Testament is a very narrow moral code. And can I just say this? It's not a moral code that is acceptable in society today. It's not a moral code that will be approved by society today, but it is a moral code that when we follow that moral code, we see the blessing and the favor of God upon our lives. And so the Bible speaks about these things, that not all cons- the consequences are not all equal. And I guess the point is this, is the, the, inco- the consequence of their inaction on this one issue, the church's tolerance towards this issue is derailing their walk with God. You know, church, it's amazing how the things that we tolerate can often be the things that can be really damaging to our walk with God. The things that we let into our home, the things that we let into our mind, just one or two things have the ability to cause great pain. And there's many examples of this in the Bible. The Bible often speaks of the ones and the twos, right? Galatians 5, verse 7 and 9. Right? Paul's talking to the Galatians and he says, you're running a good race, who cut in on you? In other words, it's just this one thing just stopped them from running really, really well. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 7, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So again, the Bible throughout the Word of God, we just, we just see this idea just that one little thing can derail their, their walk with God. One little thing can kind of wreck the culture of what God is doing. Can I say this? Jesus can help us with our one issues. Jesus can help us with those one things that we just struggle with and we find it so hard to overcome. Can I say this? Keep persevering. The Holy Spirit can help you with that one thing. On the other side of that, Jesus often speaks about the one thing that can do really good. Jesus, again, speaks about yeast, little things that we allow and that are a blessing. Luke chapter 13, verse 20, he said, what should I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour, and it worked throughout the whole 
dough. Again, just one seed of faith, come on church, can have a profound effect upon every single area of our lives. One little desire to serve God, one little prayer, one little hungering for the Spirit of God, just that one thing can have a profound effect like yeast that is going right throughout the dough. You know, right now I'm cooking two types of pizza dough. Yep. They've been fermenting for 48 hours. I'm trying two different methods. Just to so I understand the power of yeast. Again, follow me on Instagram. I'm going to be posting it next week. I'm doing some testing. I'm loving it. While Frank is away, I'm going to dirty the kitchen. There's going to be flour everywhere. But who knows, there may be a masterpiece at work. Hallelujah. So what is this one thing that negates all the rest? This one thing that they've tolerated. They've allowed for it to seep into a church. They've allowed it to come into their culture and their behavior, their way of life. It says this, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servant into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. Now, before we get into the Jezebel thing, I want you to notice, again, the Bible's talking about food sacrificed to idols. We see this a number of times in the book of Revelation. Something like that is a really, really big deal. In Thyatira, this would have been referring to the tradesmiths and the tradesmen that were part of trade guilds. And a trade guild was like an association, it was like a membership, where all the blacksmiths would be, would all live, you know, um, would be part of the, the blacksmith guild and, you know, the, the woodworkers would be part of the woodworkers guild. And these guilds together would kind of shape the culture of the city according to their trade. You know, these days, you know, when it comes to, you know, different tradespeople, there's often competition. You know, you'll get three quotes and you get the best quote. Uh, but here, they wouldn't be in competition with each other, but they would be working together. And part of those guilds, they would often have big celebratory feasts. And in those feasts, they would offer food to the God who would be the patron of that guild. So there'd be a God that would be the patron of the woodworking guild. There'd be a God that would be a patron of the blacksmith guild. And so before they would eat, just like we would pray over our food, they would offer the first portion of the food to these so-called gods it became a problem for the christians because if they didn't go to these guilds then they would be really committing economic suicide and so there was a wrestle with the early church and the early tradespeople in standing up for their faith i mean what would they do would they just not go well that would be that they'd be noticed would they not eat would that be a challenge as well the Bible doesn't make it clear how they overcame those issues. But I will say this, that there was a tension between what the world expected and what God wanted for his people. As a believer in Jesus, we are always living in that tension. We say in the world today, you know, it's becoming more tense, but there's always been tension. There's always been tension. You know, I remember when I used to go out with my friends and after work, when I used to work in a secular job and they'd all get drunk and... I wouldn't be doing that at all, and I'd be having my lemonade or whatever. And they'd always pay me out. Oh, what are you doing, goody two-shoes? 
I said, you can pay me out, but trust me, I'm going to feel a lot better in the morning than what you will tomorrow morning. There's always a tension, right? Many Christians just give in to that tension. Church, don't be like that. You and I have called to be called, we are part of the world, but we've not been called to be in the world. You and I have called, been called to be different. There has to be a separation. People have to look at our behavior and see that there is something different about our lives. Right? I think what the world has done, I'll tell you what the enemy has done, he separated belief from behavior. You can believe your thing, but don't be any different. In the Word of God, belief and behavior are intricately linked. What I believe actually changes my behavior. Come on, are you getting this this morning? Is this too heavy on a Sunday morning? Well, it's the Word of God, isn't it? eh? There has to be a difference. When you go into your workplace, do people know that you're a believer? Not because of what you say, but because your behavior is different. Because there is a difference in your life. There is a difference in your walk. There's a difference in your language, right? And so this is really a challenge for the early church. And I would just say this about that one. There's a tension back then. There is a tension today. And it's a tension that we are constantly dealing with. But I'd rather deal with that tension than not knowing Jesus at all because he is the saver of my soul. And any tension is worth it. Because the world doesn't have answers, only God has answers. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. And then the issue is raised because of a prophetess that they've nicknamed Jezebel. Now, it's not the actual Jezebel in the Old Testament, but he's labeled her as such. And again, it's not her gender, but let me just be clear, it's her message. Who calls herself a prophetess. The church have allowed someone to come in who has said, I speak for God, and I hear from God, and they have just willingly accepted anything that this person has said. Right? Church, anyone can call themselves anything. Just don't accept it. You know what challenges me in this generation? They just accept the headline without any critical thinking. The amount of people I've heard that are experts... Because the media labels them as experts. Church, we cannot be lazy in our investigation. We have to take on the responsibility of looking at things for ourselves. We have a whole generation of young people that are shaping their values according to TikTok. We've got to change that. Because we are the light of the world. Just don't listen to the headline. She calls herself a prophetess, but she needs to be tested. If we're coming back to the church now, just don't believe it when people say, let me talk about this one, don't believe it when people say God told them something. Right? Many times, been in church life for many years, people pull out the God card. Right? It has to be tested. It has to be challenged. We see this right Throughout the word of God, prophecy has to be tested. I remember, you know, often hear people say, God told me this and God told me that. 
The problem is when you say that and you're not open to correction, no one can say anything. I remember years and years ago, a person came up to me, God told me to marry that person. But I didn't ask, what do I think? Just said, God told me to marry that person. Marry that person was an absolute disaster. Maybe it wasn't God. You know. And I think the whole thing of God hearing from the Holy Spirit, hearing from God, it is one of those things that needs to be challenged. And they were not challenging this person that called herself a prophetess. Church, prophecy has to be tested. Hearing from God has to be checked. Paul talks about it right throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 29. I'm taking notes. Write these down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Even when it comes out of a pure heart, it needs to be tested. Church, I love moving in the prophetic. I remember years ago, God speaking to me that he was going to give me a prophetic gift. And I love moving in the prophetic. I love the Holy Spirit speaking through me. But there are many times that I'll go to different churches. And I understand that I'll sit under the authority of that senior pastor. And I will give a word and he will hear it. And I'll come to him at the end. And I say, were these words accurate, yes or no? I want the prophetic word in my life to be critically tested against the word of God. You know, when people say, you know what, well, God has spoken to me and there's no accountability, you've got to really prick your ears up and go, that is a danger sign. You know, it's funny, this week I was in uh, a Bendigo and I was preaching at a, an ACC event. And last year, I just thought this was really cool. Last year, I was asked by a youth organisation to prophesy to their interns. And uh, it was over Zoom. Well, I had to give a prophetic word to different people over Zoom. And so I asked the person in charge, I said, hey, can you give me a list of these particular people's names? I'm going to pray over them overnight and just see whether God birthed something in me for them. So God started giving me different words for different people, right? And uh, there was one person there, that, I don't know what his name, I'll call his name John, right? His, that was John, and I thought, okay, God, you give me a word for John. And so in the Zoom meeting, I said, now where's John? I've got a word for him. Well, John was the only person not on the Zoom. But have I missed it? I thought, nah. I said, well, you tell John this is what the Lord says. God is going to open the door for a new job. He's about to get a new job. I sensed it in my heart. Bang, bang, bang. I said a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, I was in Bendigo this week. And as, I, as the pastor was showing me around his auditorium, a guy comes up to me. He goes, Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt. I said, he goes, my name's John. I said, yeah. He goes, that Zoom that you did a year and a half ago, he goes, I was the guy that wasn't on that Zoom that you gave the word to. I said, oh, well, thanks for showing up. <laughs> he said, no, no, you don't understand. I wasn't there because I was actually going for an interview for a new job. <laughs> How cool is that? I said, all right, that's okay, you're excused. <laughs> Prophecy has to be tested. If you were to come to you and say, you know, since you gave me that word, I've been unemployed ever since. I'll be going, okay, Holy Spirit, I've got to tune my ear to you a bit more. Prophecy has to be tested. When people don't want to be told or won't come under the authority with, with what they feel God has said to them, be very wary of that. And a false prophet, they've nicknamed Jezebel. She's leading God's people astray. She's calling herself a prophetess, but she is not speaking from God. You look at Jeremiah, the amount of times that God says, these people say they speak for me, they don't speak for me. So how do we know that someone is actually speaking by God, speaking from the Holy Spirit? Well, it's pretty obvious. The Bible gives a number of things. Number one is what they say about Jesus Christ. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be accursed. And no one says, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit of God. Right? They need to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus over their life. Right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all truth. People really kind of stretch that scripture out. But I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it is and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is a lie? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such person is the Antichrist. Church, can we stop listening to people outside of the church that keep shaping our values who have no interest in Jesus Christ whatsoever? He says the same thing for those who deny Jesus came in the flesh. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. It's one of the big tests. The second big test is sound ethics. It's behavior. It's their life in general. If people say they hear from God, what is their behavior like? What is their life like? You're never going to go to a mechanic whose car is always broken down. You're never going to go to a tradesperson whose house is broken in disarray. Why would you go to someone whose personal life is in disarray? Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? It may sound a bit heavy today, but this is the Word of God. I've, I've been amazed, even again, if I refer to COVID, there are some people that have gone down certain spiritual pathways that they say God has spoken to them where there is no action of blessing on that pathway whatsoever. Some people have joined very strange churches that really their behavior does not line up with the word of God. Look at the behavior. The behavior matches up with what they believe. I'm looking for sound people. I'm looking for stable people. I'm looking for people that have got a track record that when they hear, feel God is speaking to them personally, it lines up where God has taken them for their lives. You know, one of the people personally that, that I respect the most, as you know, is Pastor Allen, right? Pastor Allen has never said to me, thus says the Lord. But what he has done is God has used him to give me sound advice. And through that has been stability and governance. And I guess for us personally, we have to distinguish our own voice from the voice of the Holy Spirit. So, so what is the voice of God for ourselves? When people say God said, how can we actually know it's the voice of God? I'm going to give you one real big one, right? One real simple one. Keep your life clean. Keep your life clean from all the rubbish of the world. You want to hear from the Holy Spirit? Don't allow all the garbage of the world and what you watch and what you hear to get into your spirit. How can you hear... How can you hear the voice of God when you've been binging on 20 hours of Netflix? Come on. How can you hear the voice of God when you listen to music that is cursing and swearing and speaking everything against the Spirit of God? I mean, just think about how can you actually, and then you expect in that slither for the Spirit of God to speak to you? If you want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, keep your life free from all that garbage. I really hope you come back tomorrow, next Sunday for church, because Pastor Alex is going to preach a very encouraging message.
I'll give an Old Testament example of this. This is a really good one. I preached this a while back. David and Goliath, right? Was it for 40 days that the, the Israelites were hearing the taunts of Goliath? Yet David had never heard the taunts, goes there and slaughters him within one day. And I began to think about this. For 40 days, they had the enemy wear them down, destroy their self-confidence, fill their life with lies and rubbish. No wonder at the end of 40 days, they had all of their courage gone and they had nothing left. Yet David in the back areas is worshipping God and spending time and filling his life with God's power. So when he comes in there fresh, he has not allowed the enemy for six weeks just to rob his life of all of the rubbish that the enemy is. And no wonder he had the power from God. Can I encourage you? The best 40-day fast that you can ever go on is a 40-day fast that you say, I'm going to read the Word of God. Yeah, I'll continue to eat, but I'm going to read the Word of God, but I'm going to fast from all the rubbish of the world. I'm not saying throw away your TV. We did that in the 80s. We had an evangelist come to paradise. He said, throw away, everyone threw them, threw them out. The next week, they brought them all back again. <laughs> the good guys made an absolute fortune. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not saying live like a hermit. What I am saying, if there's an imbalance with the word of God and what other things are coming into your life, you will never hear the word of God with great clarity. You will never hear his word with great clarity. I re read the word, I listen to the word. There is something about reading and listening to copious amounts of the Word of God. You know, when I'm at the gym, I listen to the Word of God. Right? It just does something for you. Plus, it gives you great faith to keep lifting more. more. <laughs> what is the end promise for many of these letters? It says, to the one who's victorious and does my will to the end. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. There are promises that are attached to victory. You and I have been called to live a personal victorious life, right to the end. I love, I get inspired, I get inspired by a whole range of people. One of the people group I do get inspired by are the old people in our church, the senior people in our church, that have a strength and a resilience and a passion for God after all that they've gone through. They are victorious until the end. Right? I was so sad. This week we had John Lamb's funeral. I, I couldn't be there because I was in, in Bendigo. John Lamb was one of the most faith-inspiring people I have ever met in my life. Well, who knows John Lamb? Give me a wave. He was always positive. He was always encouraging. Even when he had great health challenges, he always cracked a joke. He just was a man of faith. He was victorious until the end, praise God. And right now he is with Jesus, enjoying all the fruits of his faithfulness here on earth. God has called us to be victorious until the end. Jesus knows what's right and wrong, not the world, but Jesus. He's the judge. He says here, then all, to all the churches know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds. He knows what is in his people. Jesus knows what is in our hearts and minds. And it's interesting that this language that is used uh, is also used in the Old Testament of God himself. It's also used in Jewish literature. I want the musicians to come. One of the titles for God in Jewish literature is God is the searcher of hearts and minds. God searches our hearts and God searches our minds, wanting us to be victorious in the end. Church, it is a challenge to be victorious in today's society. It is a challenge when we get bombarded with all the rubbish that comes against us. 
It is a challenge when society says that our way of life and our value system is so out of step with the rest of society. Number one, can I encourage you today? There is always going to be that tension. But live with that tension with the great hope that Jesus Christ is within you and he's going to give you the power to overcome. But in that tension, just make a decision. I want to be a person that hears from the Holy Spirit. I want to get it right more times than I get it wrong. And by me making sure that I just even up the ledger, that I don't spend 90% of my time filling my life with rubbish and only 5% of my time filling my time. Listen, the Word of God is so powerful. He can lead you through the storm. He can guide you through adversary. He can give you confidence when you struggle with sin. He can give you a peace on the inside. He can give you a confidence. All these things are for you if you just sow yourself into the Word of God. I want us to pray today. I'm not going to get you to come out the front, but I'm going to pray for you today. I'm going to pray that these next few weeks are going to be filled with you going after the Spirit of God. You want to hear from the Holy Spirit? The more you pour the Word of God inside of you, the more God will make His voice known to you. Jesus promises us, my sheep hear my voice. We can hear the voice of God with great clarity and great conviction and great peace. We can hear His voice. Let's make a decision to sow ourselves into what God is saying. Amen.